I'd like to start by appreciating you. Sitting here, looking out, and realizing that we're here at the end of the third full day. And maybe your days have gone differently, but I know for me, the first three days of retreat are hard. So I'm appreciating that you've you know, been putting in the effort, that you're sitting here, that maybe your body has had a little or a lot of discomfort, your mind, well, I'm going to talk about that a lot. <laughs> so, And I know on these previous nights, you've been given a lot of beautiful inspiration and encouragement. Tawari talked about this gladdening the mind, that this is the movement, what we're uh, encouraging, that though it is hard, that it's not, the hardness is not the point, that we're moving in a direction of ease and lightness, And Brian encouraged you to recognize your clarity of purpose and the wholesomeness, the wholesome offering of your practice. That just as I'm appreciating your effort, you too can appreciate this generosity that every time you come to sit, that you are offering. And with all this hmm, wholesomeness, encouragement, you might wonder, like, well, why am I having dukkha? Why is this so hard? What stands in the way? And there's a lot of different challenges, and you know them, restlessness and tiredness and sometimes doubt, and we'll, we'll spend time with those soon. But there's one particular challenge that I wanted to talk about. It's almost the most obvious one, and yet in some ways one of the most elusive in our practice. And that's the thinking mind. Our minds. I remember this cartoon that I saw once. It's somebody sitting there, and they've got, you know, Perfect posture, of course. Full lotus, fingers resting, and the bubble above their head says, I realize I've only been at this for five minutes, but meditation isn't bringing me the peace of mind I was promised. (laughs) Well, at this point, you could probably have the bubble, and it said, I've been at this for three days. Where's the peace of mind? You know, and what's actually happening? We stay with the breath for a few moments, maybe a few breaths. Maybe that span is getting longer, and we just... And then this thing happens, right? Oh, this is going so great. I'm having a great meditation. Look, I've got a hang of this. You know, it's too bad this didn't turn out to be a six-week retreat because I'm, like, on a roll, and it's just going to go. And then there's that moment. Oh, my God. I just am completely lost. I, I'm 
you know what? This is a disaster. I shouldn't have done it. Why did I say I could be in Hawaii with the, you know, if I was going to fly anyway, why not go there? And then it just is like, God, everything would be fine if my mind would just be quiet. Wouldn't this be easy if your mind would just stop? And so we get caught into the idea that in order to practice, in order to have peace, that the thoughts have to stop. And at first, as a beginner, we think that that's what meditation is. You probably had that experience when you started that, oh, okay, this is going to be great. I'm going to sit, and I'm going to learn, you know, learn how to do this, and then my mind will just be all quiet. Well, we quickly discover that's not quite how it works. And then as we get more experience, though, there comes a more subtle wanting, a kind of wanting of the stillness and the silence. And we may even at times have tasted a certain kind of uh, emptiness of thoughts in our mind, a kind of gap. And so if we have an experience, we imagine we could get there. If we have experienced it, we try to get back to it. And we have this idea that that is where we need to get to. And so we're caught in a kind of striving, a kind of wishing to be somewhere other than we are. That's dukkha. That's dukkha. So now we have the double dukkha. Not only is our mind thinking, but we're wanting it to not be thinking. And now we're off into aversion and the challenge of that. So one of the first things to recognize is that thoughts are here to stay. This is what the mind does. Here's a poem called Meditation Blues from Stephen Levine. Sometimes it breaks my heart to watch my mind. Cold self-interest, insistent fear and judgment, whispered insults, vengeful fantasies, triumph and despair. A conditioned unfolding so impersonal, we take it personally. Sometimes aghast at the casual cruelty of even minor fears and celebrations. Sometimes it breaks my heart to watch my mind. And sometimes it stays broken long enough to touch even this pain with love. Sometimes the mercy washes even Mrs. Macbeth's hands, turns tragedy to grace, and makes it all worthwhile. Sometimes it breaks my mind to watch my heart. So recognizing that thoughts are here to stay and that even though they may go, if we have moments uh, in absorption, that can happen in jhanas, sometimes just in settled moments in our practice, they do disappear. But to have our happiness dependent on them not being here is to really limit 
the opportunities for happiness and ease. So it becomes more important to explore and understand our relationship with them. As that poem was saying, oh, there they are. This is what the mind does. And to recognize the difficulty of it, the beauty of it, the process of it, and to find a way to have a wholesome relationship with our thoughts. So one distinction that I'd like to offer you that that I use, that I find very helpful, is to distinguish and this isn't necessarily universally used this way, but I find it useful. Thoughts and thinking. So thoughts just happen. It's like the ear hears. Thoughts arise in the mind because that's what the mind does. It generates thoughts. It's like, it's like there's this ongoing experiment going on in there. Like, how about this one? How about this? How about the one about what's what's for breakfast? Mm, that didn't go anywhere. Uh, how about the one about the weather tomorrow? Mm, let's try a family issue. Uh, that one's good. Okay, now we got some. Now we're getting some traction. And then we go into thinking, right? So it moves from just this like spontaneous arising into something now that we're grabbing a hold and we start to proliferate and we think about it. So this is an important and useful distinction because until just the thought, and you, you, you will have plenty of opportunity to test this, just the thought arising, if we don't run after it, doesn't cause us suffering. It's just like a sound that happens that we have no particular response to. It's just a sound. It's just a thought. When we move into thinking, now we're creating suffering. We're creating an identity. The sense of self is arising. The potential for aversion and wanting and all sorts of activity, contraction in the body, so much. So how can we find and notice this movement and this allowing of the thoughts to come and go and not jumping into the whole thinking process? Well, you're doing it. One of the things that is so, in fact, the central, most important thing is to have a collected and clear mind. Mindfulness. Mindfulness. Look at that, the word. Recognizing what's happening in our mind. So, you know, on these days, here at the beginning, we're possibly staying with the breath or being with a very simple clarity of the sensations in the body or listening to sound. All of those things. And walking meditation is really good for this. It's helping us collect the mind and stabilize it so that we can recognize what's happening. 
And you already have seen the effect of that, where you might have gotten lost in thinking after half a breath the first day. Now you're starting to recognize, oh yeah, that's a thought. Oh, I'm starting to grab a hold. And you start to be able to see what's happening. This is so so essential. It gives us the possibility of navigating this tricky territory. And also it gives us the opportunity of gaining skill and understanding about this process of thoughts and thinking that then can continue even after we leave retreat. This is what brings us a lot of ease and freedom in our daily lives, to recognize this process and how it unfolds. So there's different types of thoughts. There's verbal, like, you know, you can hear words, some people see words, and then there's images. And these are both forms of thoughts, and that's good to recognize. Some of us think more, have more thoughts that arise as images, some of us more as verbally, but it's the same. And also it's important to recognize that the primary hook in thoughts is the hook of identification, of I, me, and mine. There's a sutta where the Buddha gives us a little bit of instruction that I want to elaborate, but he's talking... It's called one fine night, but it's really referring to like a whole day and a night, like a fine day, a fine... um, And it's referring to how do we... This should interest you. How do you have a fine day and a night? And by fine, he means like free and open and awake. And this is what he tells his practitioners. Don't run back to the past. Don't hope for the future. What's past is left behind. The future has not arrived. And phenomena in the present are clearly seen in every case. Knowing this, foster it. Unfaltering, unshakable. So that's the first part. And then he goes on to say, and how do you, and, you know, how do you run back to the past? You delight in thinking, I had such a form in the past. I had such a feeling. I had such a perception. I made this choice. I have consciousness. And how do you hope for the future? You delight in it. May I have this in the future. May I have these feelings in the future. And then he goes on to say, how do you falter amid presently arisen phenomena? And he says, well, first of all, if you don't have Dharma instruction, if you don't have skillful people around, so we're doing okay on that. But then he says, you, go, you get confused and you regard the form, your body, as self, the self as having a body, the body in self, the self in... So in other words, all kinds of different forms of selfing that are taking place in this thinking about me. So I want to reflect a little bit more 
on these different aspects. So he talks about the past. One of the forms of thought and thinking that we can get caught in. Often, um, you know, one of the hooks is regrets. Things, places that where we perhaps have caused harm or feeling that we have been harmed. Or sometimes it can also be something fabulous that happened, that it's kind of more fun to think about that than to sit here in the hall. And kind of understandable. But this is from Punjaji, just one line. He said, you need the past and thoughts to suffer. You don't need anything to be free. Or Hafiz, in his poem, Stop Being So Religious, he says, what do sad people have in common? It seems they have all built a shrine to the past and often go there to do a strange wail and worship. What is the beginning of happiness? It is to stop being so religious like that. So, but things will come up from the past. So how do we work with that in a way that doesn't get us taken off into thinking? The key is to be with what's here in the present, in present time. Not in the thoughts, coming into our body, feeling like when something happens that's exciting in the past that you are thinking about, can you come into the body and feel what's happening? What's here? Perhaps there's some bubbliness, some joy, or perhaps it's a memory of somebody and there's some love and warmth coming up. Now you've moved, if you really attend to this, you've moved from a whole thinking event that is taking you away to an actual experience that's right here. And that's a very different experience than the story about it. And also when we have things from the past come up where we've been where there's regret or we've been harmed, where there might be the need for some acknowledging of some sort of painful emotion or difficulty, to really to allow ourselves to acknowledge that here in the body, in this present moment, oh, there's sadness here, there's a, there's a pit in my stomach, there's a heaviness, Oh, that's what's here. When we do that, something profoundly different is happening than when we just think about it. We all know that when we think about something, we're, we go in loops. We think about it, and then we think about it again. And often we think, oh, if I think about it this time, something different will happen. But it doesn't. It's a proliferation. It's a fabrication. We're not connecting. Oops, sorry. We're not connecting with what's underneath, with the real truth of our experience, which is the same, the anger or the sadness or the hurt. 
And when we connect with that, the body softens, it is present, you are present, there's an aliveness that is capable of being here, even if the underlying emotion, all of you have had that experience, when you make contact with the truth of how you feel, it may not be pleasant, in a kind of like bubbly, joyful kind of way. But it has this underlying truth. It's like at that moment we're valuing the truth of who we are, the truth of our experience, more than the thought about it. I'll read you a poem from Rosemary Watula. Oh, let me be willing to sit in the empty dark and let the darkness enter me. Let me not pretend to know how it will be. Let me lose my plans, though it terrifies me. Let me not imagine any better time to practice than now. Let me be the bowl that sings when touched, the bowl that is content with its own stillness. If I want answers, let me sit with my longing. If I want lessons, let me find them right here. And if it is dark, let me not run from the dark, but lean into it. And if it is light, let me long for the light. Let it enter me. Let me not pretend to know how it will be. The adventure is right here in the present moment in what is happening now. Thinking can arise in respect to the present moment as well. We can analyze and assess and compare. I remember at one point I was in yoga classes and I was just like, oh my God, I am spending this entire yoga class what looking at how I'm doing comparing to how other people are doing. What's wrong with my mind? And I remember I was seeing a therapist at the time, and I went and I said, what's wrong with me? My mind is like in this constant state of comparing of what's what I'm doing with what's other people doing. The therapist wasn't any help at all. <laughs> but then I learned a little later that the Buddha had something to say about this. (laughs) And I don't know if you know, but conceit, which is the comparing mind, they say is one of the very last fetters to drop away. So it's completely natural that this comparing mind comes up. This is how we recognize the short stick from the long stick, the tall person from the short person. We're in this constant assessment of what's here in the present moment. But we don't have to pick it up and identify it with it. We don't have to proliferate with it. It can just be, oh, look at that. I'm comparing this to that. I don't need to do anything else with it. If we do start picking it up, it's the start of, you know, of, of you know, an aversion attack or whatever. Oh, this should be like that. 
more of this, less of that, whatever we might think it at that moment. There's a quote from Henry David Thoreau that I like. He says, dwell as near as possible to the channel in which your life flows. Dwell as near as possible to the channel in which your life flows. That's such simple instruction. Like this is what's here. And oh, here, oh, here, in this channel. Another way that is very common for us to get caught in our thinking is to into the futuring, right? The whole planning mind goes on and on. There's a little Zen story that I really like. It says this uh, young man comes to the to the uh, monastery and he says, "I'm here. I'm I'm here to practice. I'm really gung ho, and I want to be. I you know I want to do this right." And the, the head monk says, "Yeah, okay." The abbot and and the young man says, "So." How long will it take me to get enlightened? And the guy says, mm-hmm. 10 years? And I says, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to work really hard at it. I'm going to like stay up and I'm going to sit solid and I'm really... Uh, 15 years. <laughs> and he, no, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm willing to stay up all night, every night. And, 20 years? <laughs> And then the abbot finally says to him, if you have one eye fixed on the destination, you have only one eye left to find your way. (laughs) I like that. We just, sometimes we're so busy looking somewhere else that we forget to put one foot in front of the other. Literally. I know I'm not the only one who's walked a block and wondered at the end of the block how I got there. The scary thing is when we're driving and we don't remember how we got there. We're often so busy in the future, so caught in the thinking in our mind, planning, expectations, worry, anxiety. It's not here yet. This is from A.H. Halmas. So what is the point of waiting? What exactly are you waiting for? Is somebody going to give you what you always wanted? Will a train come down from heaven bringing you goodies? But nothing that could ever happen could be as good, as precious as who you are. What stops you from being, from being present, is nothing but your hope for the future. Hoping for, hoping for something to be different keeps you, looking for some, keeps you looking to some future fantasy. But it is a mirage. You'll never get there. The mirage stops you from seeing the obvious, the preciousness of being. It is a great distortion, a great misunderstanding of what will fulfill you. When you follow the mirage, you are rejecting yourself. When you follow the mirage, you are rejecting yourself. 
This is very important, that there's a subtle rejection, or sometimes not so subtle, in the present moment when we get go off into the thinking realm. There's a way we're rejecting our experience right here. And so part of the practice and the invitation is to come into this experience. And part of what we need in order to come into this experience is kindness. To be kind to ourselves, to say, it's okay, yes, you had that thought, or yes, you're starting to wander, yes, you're tired, but you don't need to escape. It's okay right here. Part of what we have to do is make it safe for ourselves to be here by being kind to ourselves. One of the ways that our thinking, and it's good to recognize this, our thinking accumulates right into all the different stories and all the different views and opinions, and that's a whole other topic that I won't, that I can't get too deep into right now. But to recognize that the proliferation of the story, of this thinking into the different stories that are cultural, familial, personal stories, that those create the way we approach the world. And that's what Tuari was pointing to, that when we create a story, even if it's a simple one, I'm no good at this meditation, or it's too cold and dark, or I don't like this food. And then we go into a whole story about how it's not going to work, or you know, if I was in charge, it would be different. <laughs> then we are rejecting ourselves, what's here, and we're not giving ourselves the opportunity to choose a story that brings ease and freedom. And we all have many, many good stories in us. We can just look a little bit differently at something and we'll see a different story. The Buddha said, you're probably very familiar, we are what we think. All that we are, are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind and trouble will follow you as the wheels follow the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts we make the world. Speak or act with a pure mind and happiness will follow you as your shadow unshakable. So part of what we're doing as we're learning to see our thoughts, as we're learning to see the thinking proliferation that happens from it, is we're creating the opportunity to make choices about what story are we going to hold in this present moment. So I want to give you a little more specifics about working with the thoughts and then that movement into thinking. So the first one I mentioned, and I'll say it so many times, is kindness 
towards our thoughts. Kindness that this is what happens. And allowing and accepting thoughts. I didn't say allowing and accepting thinking. This isn't a, this isn't a free pass to go off and just proliferate for the next three weeks. It's to recognize that the thoughts that come, they just come. Sometimes I'm amazed, and I used to be a little worried at some of the thoughts that would come. I would be like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, driving down where I live, there's a river road, and you drive down the river road, and and I'll watch this thought come in. You know, you could just take a sharp left here, and you'd end up in the river. And, And I used to go, where did that, you know, what, am I about to do that? Should I be worried? Is that like a a negative suicidal thought? And then I realized, no, it's just a thought that arises because people have driven off the river road into the thing. It's just a thought that arises. I don't need to do anything with it. I don't need to be scared of it. I don't need to push it away. I'm certainly not going to proliferate around it. It's just a thought. It came and it's gone. And I keep driving, and then I look up and go, oh, my goodness, look at that beautiful cliff. And, oh, there's the cottonwood tree. (laughs) And you just continue. It doesn't matter, because they didn't do anything with it. So just think of how many thoughts you have that really, they don't need to bother you. You can just let them come and let them go. Something on retreat, and we'll, we'll talk about this more later, but one of the things that can help sometimes is labeling or noting a thought as it comes. Just as it comes in and go, oh yeah, it's a planning thought. Oh yeah, I'm remembering something. Oh yeah, that's the driving into the river thought, whatever. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, and just sort of naming it for what it is. It's just a thought coming. And this can be helpful if you're kind of being bombarded with thoughts, like if it's like planning, planning, planning. I can't believe it. Another planning thought, you know. I'm The end of the retreat, come on, planning, you know, and just sort of like, and then you just go, yeah, it's just another planning thought. And slowly after a while, it just sort of, it normalizes it. Oh, yeah, planning thoughts. I had a... Um, I have a planning mind. And I, I, uh, if, you, if you're like me and maybe at some point you've had a profession that actually rewarded a planning mind, that really that makes it even more active. And I spent a couple years, I think all I did for a couple years was label planning. It was rough. And uh, I had teachers tell me all sorts. They said, put a notepad by it and write down the... Uh, the notepad would be full and my still planning. The thing that ended up helping me was feeling my body coming into the body. When we have these thoughts going, being curious about what else is happening. Oh, there's some sort of energy here. There's sort of like a certain kind of excitement combined with anxiety. It's sort of bubbly. There's a little tension. And all of a sudden, you're right here in the present moment. You're interacting with yourself. You're not rejecting. You're not going off somewhere else. 
And along with this uh, recognizing what's happening, when just a thought arises, it's also good to understand and recognize papancha. You, I hope you've probably mostly heard that word, papancha. It's a Pali word from the Buddha, Pali word, that really means proliferation of mind. And this, this um, habit, it's a habit. And that's what's really useful to recognize. It's a habit of mind where you just, you know, James Joyce documented it and then Faulkner really went over the top with it you know it's like this stream of consciousness that just goes on and on about how if you don't recognize those authors that's fine you can just watch your own mind (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like you know I look out and it's like oh that's a nice shawl I wonder where she got it. I wonder if I could go online and how would you describe that shawl to try to get one? Do you think they'd ship them here to IMS while I'm on retreat? Ooh, but I don't have... Oh, I turned in my phone. That was really silly to do that. Now how am I going to get the shawl? You know, the mind is a crazy, crazy thing once it starts going off in this proliferation. So recognizing that it's just a habit It's not going someplace you need to follow it. Sometimes we start on this and we think, oh, this is probably going someplace really. It's not. I promise. You already know that. You've done it enough. And then the other thing that sometimes we do is we try to follow it backwards, right? Oh, I thought of that because of this and that. Oh, wow. Oh, that started because of the shawl. Oh, look at that. What's going on? You're proliferating, right? You're just coming up with another super special way of thinking about it. (laughs) Not necessary. Not necessary. What can be more useful is being curious sometimes about, you know, if the thought has moves into thinking and has more grip in it, then what is it that's going on? Is there something... Is there some sensation in my body that is uncomfortable and I'm kind of moving away from it? I'm trying to distract and avoid it. Is there some emotion coming up that I'd rather not feel? What is happening? Is there some is there a certain, you know, top 10 that keep coming through, and then after a while you notice some of them fall away, and then you're down to the top three, and they just keep going, and it's like you sit down, and the same thing keeps going through your mind, and it's like, pay attention. What is it? Why does that story, that thinking process, why does that have a hook? Is there a particular way it satisfies your sense of self. You feel, yeah, I'm here, I'm good. Or is there some way that there's some emotion or something underneath or you feel uh, fearful or scared in some way that needs to be tended to? Milarepa said, I attain all my knowledge through observing the mind within. Thus, all my thoughts become the teaching of the Dharma. 
So we don't need to pay attention to the random proliferation. We're probably better off not getting very involved. But when there's a very significant pattern that keeps coming, it might really pay to connect and see what's there. We also can notice how certain thoughts and then the thinking that follows are stimulated by something. I mentioned a couple things. Body discomfort. You might notice like you're sitting, you're sitting, and then you start proliferating. And you can watch in a sit. Oh, it happens right when my knee starts hurting. Or, my, or maybe, and maybe it's even direct. Like my back starts hurting and then, you know, next thing you're thinking about how you're going to be a cripple and you're never going to be able to walk when you stand up and they're going to have to bring a stretcher into the hall. But, you know, what's really happened is there's just this little ache that you're not, acknowledging is there and so just oh oh sweetheart that's a little sore yep okay then I know how to work with discomfort you you know how to do that oh that's what it feels like there's a little stingy feeling it's a little bit larger and now we're back in the present moment other things can stimulate it to stimulate the proliferation you know walking down the food line I have to say, in the continuity of practice, the food line is always the last place for me to maintain continuity of mindfulness. I don't, I just, food, boy, the mind loves playing with it, telling stories about it, having opinions about it. You can watch. Where as you go through your day, where does your mind spring off? What, what prompts you to start getting lost? And see if you can notice if there's a pattern. Is it a pattern like when you get tired? Is it a pattern that when you go outside or when you don't go outside, when you're in transition is one of the most common places from sitting to walking and back? What causes you to start to reject this present moment? to lose contact with it. And as we do this, I hope you're starting to hear one of the things that we get to explore is the relationship of the different sense gates and emotion and thought. We might, you know, um, we go outside and we see something beautiful. And then, If we're not paying attention, the minds will start. Or we have a little ache, and then a little emotion comes up, and then the thought goes. So we can start to track. As our mind gets more stable, we can start to see, oh, and then we have a certain thought. The thought arises, and then we think, and then an emotion arises, right? And, oh, look, there's this constant feedback loop going on. This is one of the things we explore. Because in this, as we get more facility with it, and you've all done this, we start to see how we create dukkha. Nothing really going on, and the next thing you know, we're in a dukkha fit. And just, we saw something, a thought arose, we grabbed a hold of it, we're thinking... And now we've got a story, and now we're unhappy. 
it's, it's fascinating. And if you can be curious and investigate it, rather than thinking that you've just done something horrible or that you're bad or that you need to fix it, but, oh, look at that. Wasn't that interesting? This starts towards this aspect of practice of that the expectations, the trying to make something happen, the trying to get somewhere else, this is such a, um, it's such a burden to carry. I really like, uh, and it creates the resistance to our thoughts that if we're trying to get somewhere else and we think the thoughts aren't going to let us. Dilgo Kinse Rinpoche has this quote that I read a lot. In fact, I think it's kind of all the instruction we need. The everyday practice is simply to develop a complete acceptance and openness to all situations and emotions, and to all people, experiencing everything totally, without mental reservations and blockages, so that one never withdraws or centralizes into one's self. Back to that way that we centralize by getting caught in the sense of self, and having instead this complete openness. Uh, One of the forms of thinking that I want to name, because it's subtle, but it might come up for you, is the subtle meditation guide. The one inside your mind that tells you, yes, I know you're watching the breath, but I think a little metta here would be better. Oh, yeah, you've done metta for a few minutes. Let's do a body scan. Oh, maybe now some... Ah, oh, this isn't going so well. Let's try something else. Do you know? And then when it gets more refined, it's like, oh yeah, just sit a little straighter. Yeah, follow the. And it gets quieter and quieter, but it's still thinking in there. And to just notice that, so that it's not happening without your noticing. You don't need to shut it down. Sometimes it has some really good advice. Sometimes not. But be aware. Oh, this is an aspect of the thinking mind getting involved. Choose. Useful, not useful. Just a thought coming and going. A couple things that I hope you're seeing in this that I want to summarize with, which is when you see the thinking happening, Ask yourself, do I need to think about this now? The answer when you're meditating is universally no. But you have to ask yourself the question to be convinced of that. As Joseph Goldstein says, he says, in meditation, nothing is worth thinking about. (laughs) So if you get confused about the answer, just refer to Joseph. Watch, then the mind gets confused and thinks that it needs to think about something. And it doesn't. And part of our practice is to remind ourselves again and again. Watch the addiction 
and the pride that you have in your thinking process. We do. We're addicted to our... That's, everybody is addicted to their thoughts. Not just the thoughts, really, to the thinking process. We're all addicted to thinking. And part of what we're doing here is trying to break that addiction. One of the most useful ways of doing this is to drop it mid-sentence. My friend and colleague Tori Capron taught me that. Drop it mid-sentence. Have you noticed that? Like you're thinking and you think, well, I'll just sort of finish this and then I'll come back to my breath. No. Drop it right there. There's, it's incredibly powerful. Because when you drop it mid-sentence, when you don't finish it, you are practicing a kind of letting go, a kind of release, and you can feel the freedom right there in that moment. And the more you practice that, the more less grip they have to start with. Drop it mid-sentence. We're breaking the habit of identification with it. I remember the first time I had a real, it was on a, I was outside, it was actually on retreat, and I had the uh, very open and profound experience of not self, of like not being very identified, just completely open and relaxed. And what surprised me most about it was the thoughts kept coming. There were still all these thoughts. But what was different is I thought they were hilarious. I just kept laughing. And I was on a retreat with other people. Fortunately, it was outside, so I could go off a little bit. And, and I'd just be over there laughing. There'd be another one. I'd just laugh at it, laugh at it. That's, you know, it's just what our mind does. But when we don't identify with it, it's quite a show. I was going to say something else, but you'd guess. You can guess what kind of show. So keep returning to the kindness. You can even see if there's a particular way, a particular image or way that you can support the kindness in yourself. You know, whether it's putting a hand or just sort of go, oh, sweetheart, there you go again. Or just, oh, yeah, that's thinking. Yeah, that's a thought arising. It's okay. You know, like let yourself... Let yourself cultivate that. And I want to name three approaches. I've sort of woven them in here. Now I'm going to just pull them out. They all include a tone of kindness. First one is antidotes. If you find yourself immersed in thinking, the antidotes to get yourself out, main one, first one, is come into the body. Pay attention to what's happening in the body. It's the body is in the present moment. It will always bring you back here. Pay attention to the body. Notice if there's an underlying emotion. Notice if there's something that you're trying to get away from. Or if there's something happening here that needs attention. Another possibility is just to go to another sense gate. 
that's what we're doing when we practice with the breath. We're going to the sensations of the breath. We're like, oh yeah, there's, come back to the breath. That's what we're doing when we practice with sound. We're like, okay, we're not going to put our attention on the thinking mind. Instead, we're going to pay attention to sound. So we're exercising our sense of choice and wise attention to direct what we pay attention to. And then I mentioned you can direct your attention towards the process, watching this weaving of the thinking coming from something that's happening, coming back into the body. Was there some sort of uh, instigation for it? So that's all sort of working with that whole seeing the thinking and just kind of trying to get more stable around it. Another way is naming or watching the thoughts directly. So that's the noting them, seeing the patterns in them. And and tomorrow morning I'll give some suggestions and guided meditation, ways to see the thoughts directly as they come and go. Seeing the thought energy, I mentioned that. And then I want to mention one last way that as our meditation refines, as we settle, the way that we can see the thoughts is to recognize their ephemeral, non-existent nature. They are just this arising and this passing. They just come, and when you don't pick them up, they go. And in that, we can recognize the essence of mind, the stillness and spaciousness that's the background. And then the thoughts come and go, and we're undisturbed. So as our mind settles, and the recognition of the ephemeral nature becomes clearer, they can just pass like the clouds. We don't need to play and stir them up and tell a story. I think I'll end with the whole, uh, from that uh, discourse, the MN-131, one fine night, I'll end with this whole little poem that the Buddha offers to his monks. He says, don't run back to the past. Don't hope for the future. What's past is left behind. The future has not arrived. And phenomena in the present are clearly seen in every case. Knowing this, foster it. Unfaltering, unshakable. Today's the day to keenly work. Who knows, tomorrow may bring death. For there is no bargain to be struck with death and his mighty hordes. The peaceful sage explained, it's the, explained it to those who keen... Explained, sorry, there's a typo in the, in the thing. The peaceful stay, sage explained. Those who keenly meditate like this, tireless all night and day, will truly have one fine day and night. 
So let's sit for a moment and let the words settle. Thank you for your 